Hello, and welcome to Family Folktales from the Nashville Public Library. I'm Susan Poulter, a librarian at the Main Library. Today's story is The Blue Parrot, a French story found in Andrew Lang's Olive Fairy Book. In a part of Arabia where groves of palms and sweet-scented flowers give the traveler rest after toilsome journeys under burning skies, there reigned a young king whose name was Lino. He had grown up under the wise rule of his father, who had lately died, and though he was only nineteen, he did not believe, like many young men, that he must change all the laws in order to show how clever he was, but was content with the old ones which had made the people happy and the country prosperous. There was only one fault that his subjects had to find with him, and that was that he did not seem in any hurry to be married in spite of the prayers that they frequently offered him. The neighboring kingdom was governed by the Swan Fairy, who had an only daughter, the Princess Hermosa, who was as charming in her way as Lino in his. The Swan Fairy always had an ambassador at the young king's court, and on hearing the grumbles of the citizens that Lino showed no signs of taking a wife, the good man resolved that he would try his hand at matchmaking. For, he said, if there is anyone living who is worthy of the Princess Hermosa, he is to be found here. At any rate, I can but try and bring them together. Now, of course, it was not proper to offer the princess in marriage, and the difficulty was to work upon the unconscious king so as to get the proposal to come from him. But the ambassador was well used to the ways of courts, and after several conversations on the art of painting, which Lino loved, he led the talk to portraits, and mentioned carelessly that a particularly fine picture had lately been made of his own princess, though as for a likeness, he concluded, Perhaps it is hardly as good as this small miniature which was painted a year ago. The king took it and looked at it closely. Ah, he sighed, that must be flattering. It cannot be possible that any woman should be such a miracle of beauty. If you could only see her, answered the ambassador. The king did not reply. But the ambassador was not at all surprised when, the following morning, he was sent for into the royal presence. Since you showed me that picture, began Lino, almost before the door was shut, I have not been able to banish the face of the princess from my thoughts. I have summoned you here to inform you that I am about to send special envoys to the court of the Swan Fairy, asking her daughter in marriage. I cannot, as you will understand, speak for my mistress in so important a matter, replied the ambassador, stroking his beard in order to conceal the satisfaction he felt. But I know that she will certainly be highly gratified at your proposal. If that is so, cried the king, his whole face beaming with joy, then instead of sending envoys, I will go myself and take you with me. In three days my preparations will be made, and we will set out. Unluckily for Lino, he had for his neighbor on the other side a powerful magician named Ismenor, 
who was the king of the Isle of Lions, and the father of a hideous daughter, whom he thought the most beautiful creature that ever existed. Riquette, for such was her name, had also fallen in love with a portrait, but it was of King Lino, and she implored her father to give him to her for a husband. Ismenor, who considered that no man lived who was worthy of his treasure, was about to send his chief minister to King Lino on this mission, when the news reached him that the king had already started for the court of the Swan Fairy. Riquette was thrown into transports of grief and implored her father to prevent the marriage, which Ismenor promised to do. And calling for an ugly and humpbacked little dwarf named Rabot, he performed some spells which transported them quickly to a rocky valley through which the king and his escort were bound to pass. When the tramp of horses was heard, the magician took out an enchanted handkerchief which rendered invisible anyone who touched it. Giving one end to Rabot and holding the other himself, they walked unseen amongst the horsemen, but not a trace of Lino was to be found. And this was natural enough, because the king, tired out with the excitement and fatigue of the last few days, had bidden the heavy coaches laden with presents for the princess to go forwards while he rested under the palms with a few of his friends. Here Ismenor beheld them, all sound asleep, and casting a spell which prevented their waking till he wished them to do so, he stripped the king of all his clothes and dressed him in those of Rabot, whom he touched with his ring, saying, Take the shape of Lino until you have wedded the daughter of the Swan Fairy. And so great was the magician's power that Rabot positively believed himself to really be the king. When the groom had mounted Lino's horse and had ridden out of sight, Ismenor aroused the king, who stared with astonishment at the dirty garments in which he was dressed. But before he had time to look about him, the magician caught him up in a cloud and carried him off to his daughter. Meantime, Rabot had come up with the others, who never guessed for a moment that he was not their own master. I am hungry, said he. Give me something to eat at once. May it please your majesty, answered the steward. The tents are not even set up, and it will be at least an hour before your supper is served. We thought, who taught you to think, interrupted the false king rudely. You are nothing but a fool. Get me some horse's flesh directly. It is the best meat in the world. The steward could hardly believe his ears. King Lino, the most polite man under the sun, to speak to his faithful servant in such a manner. And to want horse's flesh, too. Why, he was so delicate in his appetite that he lived mostly on fruit and cakes. Well, well, there was no knowing what people would come to. And anyhow, he must obey at once if he wished to keep his head on his shoulders. Perhaps, after all, it was love which had driven him mad, and if so, by and by, he might come right again. Whatever excuses his old servants might invent for their master, by the time the procession reached the Swan Fairy's capital, there were no more horses left, and they were forced to walk up to the palace on foot. 
hiding their surprise as best they could. They begged the king to follow them, dismounting from their own horses as he, they supposed, preferred to walk. They soon perceived the swan fairy and her daughter awaiting them on a low balcony, under which the king stopped. Madam, he said, you may be surprised that I have come to ask your daughter's hand in so unceremonious a fashion. But the journey is long, and I was hungry and ate my horse, which is the best meat in the world. And I forced my courtiers to eat theirs also. But for all that, I am a great king and wish to be your son-in-law. And now that is settled, where is Hermosa? Sire, answered the queen, not a little displeased, as well as amazed at the king's manner, which was so different from anything she had been led to expect. You possess my daughter's portrait, and it can have made but little impression on you if you don't recognize her at once. I don't remember any portrait, replied Rabot, but perhaps it may be in my pocket after all. And he searched everywhere while the ladies-in-waiting looked on with astonishment, but of course found nothing. When he had finished, he turned to the princess, who stood there blushing and angry, and said, if it is you whom I have come to marry, I think you are very beautiful. I am sure if I had even seen your portrait, I should have remembered it. Let us have the wedding as soon as possible, and meantime, I should like to go to sleep, for your country is very different from mine, and I can assure you that after walking over stones and sand for days and days, one needs a little rest. And without waiting for a reply he bade one of the pages conduct him to his room, where he was soon snoring so loud that he could be heard at the other end of the town. As soon as he was out of their sight, the poor princess flung herself into her mother's arms and burst into tears. For fifteen days, she had had King Lino's portrait constantly before her, while the letter from their own ambassador, speaking of the young man's grace and charm, had never left her pocket. True, the portrait was faithful enough, but how could that fair outside contain so rough and rude a soul? Yet this even she might have forgiven had the king shown any of the signs of love and admiration to which she had been so long accustomed. As for her mother, the poor swan fairy was so bewildered at the extraordinary manners of her new son-in-law that she was almost speechless. Matters were in this state when King Lino's chamberlain begged for a private audience of Her Majesty, and no sooner were they alone than he told her that he feared that his master had suddenly gone mad or had fallen under the spell of some magician. I had been lost in astonishment before, said he, but now that he has failed to recognize the princess and no longer possesses her portrait, which he never would part from it for a single instant, my amazement knows no bounds. Perhaps, madam, your fairy gifts may be able to discover the reason of this change in one whose courtesy was the talk of the kingdom. And with a low bow, he took his departure. The queen stood where the chamberlain left her, thinking deeply. Suddenly her face cleared, and going to an old chest which she kept in a secret room, 
she drew from it a small mirror. In this mirror, she could see faithfully reflected whatever she wished. And at this moment, she desired above all things to behold King Lino as he really was. Ah, the Chamberlain was right. It was not he who was lying on his bed, snoring till the whole palace shook beneath him. No, this was her real son-in-law. The man dressed in dirty clothes and imprisoned in one of Ismenor's strongest towers and kissing the portrait of Hermosa, which had escaped the wizard's notice, owing to the young king having worn it for better concealment, tied amongst his hair. Calling hastily to her daughter, she bade her also look, and Hermosa had the pleasure of gazing on Lino, who was behaving exactly as she could have wished. The mirror was still in her hand when the door of the prison opened, and there entered the hideous Riquette, who, from her upraised eyes, seemed to be begging from Lino some favor which he refused to grant. Of course, Hermosa and her mother could not hear their words, but from Riquette's angry face as she left the room, it was not difficult to guess what had happened. But the mirror had more to tell, for it appeared that in fury at her rejection by the king, Riquette had ordered four strong men to scourge him till he fainted, which was done in the sight of Hermosa, who in horror dropped the mirror and would have fallen had she not been caught by her mother. Control yourself, my child, said the fairy. We have need of all our wits if we are to rescue the king from the power of those wicked people. And first it is necessary to know who the man that has taken his name and his face really is. Then, picking up the mirror, she wished that she might behold the false lover and the glass gave back a vision of a dirty, greasy groom, lying, dressed as he was, on her bed of state. So this is the trick Ismenor hoped to play us. Well, we will have our revenge, whatever it costs to get it. Only we must be very careful not to let him guess that he has not deceived us, for his skill in magic is greater than mine, and I shall have to be very prudent. To begin with, I must leave you, and if the false king asks why, then answer that I have to settle some affairs on the borders of my kingdom. Meanwhile, be sure you treat him most politely, and arrange fetes to amuse him. If he shows any sign of being suspicious, you can even give him to understand that, on your marriage, I intend to give up the crown to your husband. And now farewell. So saying, the swan fairy waved her hand, and a cloud came down and concealed her, and nobody imagined that the beautiful white cloud that was blown so rapidly across the sky was the chariot that was carrying the swan fairy to the tower of Ismenor. Now the tower was situated in the midst of a forest, so the queen thought that, under cover of the dark trees, it would be quite easy for her to drop to earth unseen. But the tower was so thoroughly enchanted that the more she tried to reach the ground, the tighter something tried to hold her back. At length, 
by putting forth all the power she possessed, she managed to descend to the foot of the tower. And there, weak and faint as she was with her exertions, she lost no time in working her spells and found that she could only overcome Ismenor by means of a stone from the ring of Gyges. But how was she to get this ring? For the magic book told her that Ismenor guarded it night and day among his most precious treasures. However, get it she must, and in the meantime, the first step was to see the royal prisoner himself. So, drawing out her tablets, she wrote as follows. The bird which brings you this letter is the Swan Fairy, mother of Hermosa, who loves you as much as you love her. And after this assurance, she related the wicked plot of which he had been the victim. Then, quickly changing herself into a swallow, she began to fly round the tower till she discovered the window of Lino's prison. It was so high up that bars seemed needless, especially as four soldiers were stationed in the passage outside. Therefore, the fairy was able to enter and even to hop on his shoulder. But he was so much occupied with gazing at the princess's portrait that it was some time before she could attract his attention. At last, she gently scratched his cheek with the corner of the note, and he looked round with a start. On perceiving the swallow, he knew at once that help had come, and tearing open the letter, he wept with joy on seeing the words it contained, and asked a thousand questions as to Hermosa, which the swallow was unable to answer, though by repeated nods she signed to him to read further. "'Must I indeed pretend to wish to marry that horrible riquette?' he cried when he had finished. "'Can I obtain the stone from the magician?' Accordingly, the next morning, when Riquette paid him her daily visit, he received her much more graciously than usual. The magician's daughter could not contain her delight at this change, and in answer to her expressions of joy, Lino told her that he had had a dream by which he had learned the inconstancy of Hermosa. Also, that a fairy had appeared and informed him that if he wished to break the bonds which bound him to the faithless princess and transfer his affections to the daughter of Ismenor, he must have in his possession for a day and a night a stone from the ring of Gyges, now in the possession of the magician. This news so enchanted Riquette that she flung her arms round the king's neck and embraced him tenderly, greatly to his disgust, as he would infinitely have preferred the sticks of the soldiers. However, there was no help for it, and he did his best to seem pleased, till Riquette relieved him by announcing that she must lose no time asking her father and obtaining from him the precious stone. His daughter's request came as a great surprise to Ismenor, whose suspicions were instantly excited. But think as he would, he could not see any means by which the king, so closely guarded, might have held communication with the swan fairy. Still, he would do nothing hastily, and hiding his dismay, he told Riquette that his only wish was to make her happy. 
and that as she wished so much for the stone, he would fetch it for her. Then he went into the closet where all his spells were worked, and in a short time he discovered that his enemy, the Swan Fairy, was at that moment inside his palace. So that is it, he said, smiling grimly. Well, she shall have a stone by all means, but a stone that will turn everyone who touches it into marble. And placing a small ruby in a box, he returned to his daughter. Here is the talisman which will gain you the love of King Lino, he said. But be sure you give him the box unopened, or else the stone will lose all its virtue. With a cry of joy, Riquette snatched the box from his hands and ran off to the prison, followed by her father, who, holding tightly the enchanted handkerchief, was able, unseen, to watch the working of the spell. As he expected, at the foot of the tower stood the swan fairy, who had had the imprudence to appear in her natural shape, waiting for the stone which the prince was to throw to her. Eagerly she caught the box as it fell from the prince's hands, but no sooner had her fingers touched the ruby than a curious hardening came over her. Her limbs stiffened, and her tongue could hardly utter the words, We are betrayed. Yes, you are betrayed, cried Ismenor in a terrible voice. And you, he continued, dragging the king to the window, you shall turn into a parrot, and a parrot you will remain until you can persuade Hermosa to crush in your head. He had hardly finished before a blue parrot flew out into the forest, and the magician, mounting in his winged chariot, set off for the Isle of Swans, where he changed everybody into statues, exactly in the positions in which he found them, not even excepting Rabot himself. Only Hermosa was spared, and he ordered her to get into his chariot beside him. In a few minutes he reached the Forest of Wonders, when the magician got down and dragged the unhappy princess out after him. I have changed your mother into a stone and your lover into a parrot, said he, and you are to become a tree, and a tree you will remain until you have crushed the head of the person you love best in the world. But I will leave you your mind and memory, that your tortures may be increased a thousandfold. Great magician as he was, Ismenor could not have invented a more terrible fate had he tried for a hundred years. The hours passed wearily by for the poor princess, who longed for a woodcutter's axe to put an end to her misery. How were they to be delivered from their doom? And even supposing that King Lino did fly away, there were thousands of blue parrots in the forest and how was she to know him or he her? As to her mother, oh, that was too bad to think about. So, being a woman, she kept on thinking. Meanwhile, the blue parrot flew about the world, making friends wherever he went, till one day, as he entered the castle of an old wizard 
who had just married a beautiful young wife. Grenadine, for such was her name, led a very dull life and was delighted to have a playfellow. So she gave him a golden cage to sleep in and delicious fruits to eat. Only in one way did he disappoint her. He never would talk as other parrots did. If you only knew how happy it would make me, I'm sure you would try, she was fond of saying. But the parrot did not seem to hear her. One morning, however, she left the room to gather some flowers, and the parrot, finding himself alone, hopped to the table, and picking up a pencil, wrote some verses on a piece of paper. He had just finished when he was startled by a noise, and letting fall the pencil, he flew out of the window. Now hardly had he dropped the pencil when the wizard lifted a corner of the curtain which hung over the doorway and advanced into the room. Seeing a paper on the table, he picked it up, and great was his surprise as he read, Fair princess, to win your grace, I will hold discourse with you. Silence, though, were more in place than chattering like a cockatoo. I half suspected it was enchanted, murmured the wizard to himself. And he fetched his books and searched them, and found that instead of being a parrot, the bird was really a king who had fallen under the wrath of a magician, and that magician the man whom the wizard hated most in the world. Eagerly he read on, seeking for some means of breaking the enchantment, and at last, to his great joy, he discovered the remedy. Then he hurried to his wife, who was lying on some cushions under the tree on which the parrot had perched, and informed her that her favorite was really the king of a great country, and that if she would whistle for the bird, they would all go together to a certain spot in the Forest of Marvels, where I will restore him to his own shape. Only you must not be afraid or cry out whatever I do, added he, or everything will be spoiled. The wizard's wife jumped up in an instant, so delighted was she, and began to whistle the song that the parrot loved. But as he did not wish it to be known that he had been listening to the conversation, he waited until she had turned her back, when he flew down from the tree and alighted on her shoulder. Then they got into a golden boat, which carried them to a clearing in the forest where three tall trees stood by themselves. I want these trees for my magic fire, he said to his wife. Put the parrot on that branch, he'll be quite safe, and go yourself to a little distance. If you stay too near, you may get your head crushed in their fall. At these words, the parrot suddenly remembered the prophecy of Ismenor, and held himself ready, his heart beating at the thought that in one of those trees he beheld Hermosa. Meanwhile, the magician took a spade and loosened the earth of the roots of the three trees so that they might all fall together. Directly the parrot observed them totter, he spread his wings and flew right under the middle one, which was the most beautiful of the three. There was a crash. Then Lino and Hermosa stood facing each other, clasped hand in hand. 
After the first few moments, the princess's thoughts turned to her mother, and falling at the feet of the magician who was smiling with delight at the success of his plan, she implored him to help them once more and to give the swan fairy back her proper shape. That is not so easy, said he, but I will try what I can do. And transporting himself to his palace to obtain a little bottle of poisoned water, he waited till nightfall and started at once for Ismenor's tower. Of course, had Ismenor consulted his books, he would have seen what his enemy was doing. He might have protected himself. But he had been eating and drinking too much and had gone to bed sleeping heavily. Changing himself into a bat, the magician flew into the room and, hiding himself in the curtains, he poured all the liquid over Ismenor's face so that he died without a groan. At the same instant, the swan fairy became a woman again, for no magician, however powerful, can work spells which last beyond his own life. So when the swan fairy returned to her capital, she found all her courtiers waiting at the gate to receive her, and in their midst, beaming with happiness, Hermosa and King Lino. Standing behind them, though a long way off, was Rabot. But his dirty clothes had given place to clean ones when his earnest desire was granted, and the princess had made him head of her stables. And here we must bid them all farewell, feeling sure they will have many years of happiness before them after the terrible trials through which they have passed. That was The Blue Parrot from Andrew Lang's Olive Fairy Book. Special thanks to Ginger Sands for our theme music. You can find more of Ginger's music at iTunes, or on her website at www.gingersands.com. And if you'd like to comment on today's story, send me an email. I can be reached at susan.polter, that's P-O-U-L-T-E-R, at nashville.gov. Thanks for listening. <laughs>